Holly G with the Golf Insiders for this special edition and important conversation with one of our favorite golf insiders, Bob Herrig from slide.com, who's got an exclusive interview with World Golf Hall of Famer, six-time major champion Phil Mickelson on the eve of the fourth live golf event happening in Boston this weekend. Great to have them on the show today. Hey, Bob. Hello there. Thanks. So uh, congratulations. First of all, first time Phil has uh, spoken, done a one-on-one interview since June, basically. I know you covered a lot of topics. What was your overall impression? Well, uh, you know, the main reason I wanted to talk to him was to get his reaction to the changes that the PGA Tour made. I mean, let's be honest, the reason the reason that we are in this position in golf today with Liv, with all the acrimony, with what Phil did, what he said back in February, is because there was a sense that, um, you know, the tour wasn't doing enough for the players. And uh, whether it be the star players or, or even the rank and file or guaranteed money or all these issues that we've discussed here over the last few months – um, you know, the tour took some pretty big steps. Uh, Jay Monahan announced some pretty big changes at the, at the, uh, at the tour championship. And, you know, it just seemed logical to try to get Phil's take on it. Uh, so, you know, I, <laughs> I worked at that and, and got, and got him, uh, last night, Thursday night. And, um, and I thought, you know, he was, he wasn't beating his chest or, or, you know, trying to act like it was him that got things done. But he clearly feels that nothing would have happened if there hadn't been this other threat. And the overall take was is he's happy for the guys in the PGA Tour. He thinks the star players deserve what they're getting. And, um, and, and also, obviously, you know, he's happy where he's at. He got a big payday to go to live and those guys are getting rewarded very nicely for the, in the tournaments that they play in. So um, it's, uh, you know, it was an interesting conversation because, uh, uh, you know, Phil's had such a huge role in, in being in the middle of all this. I, I thought it was particularly interesting when you asked him the question about his legacy and his response was that he felt his legacy uh, is being built right now. I found that a curious answer. Yeah, I mean, you know, and he caught himself too because at the end of that, he he realized, you know, that his legacy to this point is something not to put aside, you know, and he he kind of like was thanking, you know, making sure to thank, you know, PJ Tour and you know, for all the great times and fans and everything. But I think what he's saying there is he expects that when this is all said and done, whenever it is, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, maybe he feels that people will look back on what he did and and understand it and, and recognize that it was maybe for the good. I mean, I certainly understand why people might have a hard time believing that right now. You know, but I, I think Phil truly believes that uh, 
you know, that, that golf at the professional level needed to make some changes and that the star players need to be rewarded. I mean, he referred to that during the interview, you know, basically that, you know, the, the, the guys who make, who move the needle basically are the ones that, uh, uh, you, you know, that the public pays attention to obviously. And, and, and they, they drive the sport that they're the ones who drive it and should be rewarded. And so, you know, maybe that's a, a selfish view. And when you're, when you were one of those guys, listen, if you step back from it and I'm not sitting here to condone live, um, per se, I mean, I get the negativity, 54 whole events, nothing but those, you know, no cuts, the shotgun starts, you know, it, there's reasons to poke holes in it. I get it. But on the other hand, the PGA tour is almost a year round sport. What they have had, what, 47 weeks of golf most is basically what it is. 48 weeks. Um, so that's what four or five, six weeks off. And it's the same thing almost every week, 72 hole stroke play. Now look, we all understand that that's the, probably the best way to determine a champion. 72 is better than 54, which is better than 36. But is it really the end of the world to have four, five, six tournaments a year that would be 54 holes that might have teams as part of it that might, you know, that might be played, you know, maybe in a market where um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday works better, or maybe at a place where it might have difficulty supporting four days. I mean, like, you know, think outside the box a little bit. But the, the tour has not been really willing to do that. Look, the LPGA plays some fifty-four hole events. Nobody says, "Oh, those 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 uh, those champions are tainted," you know. So um, true. I, I I you know I, I just think it it's you wouldn't want a steady diet of it. But it how does it hurt once in a while? There's many many winners over the history of the PGA Tour who only played fifty-four holes. Now the now in the tour's defense. They do everything they can now to play 72 holes. Like if, if, a, if a tournament, first of all, like they would never let the players championship go to 54. You know, and we remember we had that issue in March. The weather was so bad and there was right. talk about it going into Tuesday, which they would have done, you know, and they, they'll, they'll do that at, at a lot of tournaments unless they don't get a part of a, a good number of the field done on Monday only then does it resort to re revert back to 54 holes. So they clearly see that as important, which is fine. But would it be the end of the world to have, you know, say four events a year, five, six, one a month or whatever it is, one every six weeks that it was only 54 holes? You know, maybe maybe you'd get some guys to come out who, who might have said, you know what, I'd rather take that week off. Instead, oh, it's only 54 holes, I'll go play. Still pays the same. You know, so it, it, I guess my long-winded point here is, is that, that that golf needed to be shaken up a little bit, I think. And there's nothing wrong with some alternative formats once in a while. Um, you know, it's still amazing to me that the PGA Tour, which has this alliance of some sort with the LPGA, has not figured out a way to have a combined event. Yeah, you know, going what, back to going back to the J.C. Penny, which was a well, super popular event. Well, and and you know they disbanded it, and then you know it's been four or five years now that they entered into this deal with the LPGA Tour, 
and they've not been able to come up with a way to play an event at the same place or integrating or however you want to do it. I mean, whether it doesn't even have to be teams, it could be you, you play at the same venue, you play, uh, you know, the European tour has done this, you know, or you play separate tournaments, but at the same time, I mean, why, why is this not happening? You know, like there's a lot of things like that, you know, and my guess is as part of it is, is the players just haven't wanted it. They've just been very stuck with, with, um, with these traditional ways of doing it. And yet it gets stale, you know, listen, the tour, I think made a great move starting in 2024, going to a January to August season. It's going to, you know, obviously the events in the fall are still going to count. That's okay. They're going to count for keeping your card. They're going to be out playing. But they're not going to be penalized for not playing. Exactly. And, and so to me, that's the best of both worlds. The casual golf fan who likes following a season from start to end can do so in, in a confined period, eight months, you know, like other sports, you know, that have a, a normal start and end date. And then, you know, the hardcore fans, um, you know, will follow along to see what those guys do in the fall who are trying to keep their cards or move up, move up the list a little bit, maybe earn a master's invite. That's great too. But that's a very small audience. It's not commercially sound, you know. I mean, it's just the it, it, it's football season, college football, baseball playoffs. And as it's, we've it, we've we've said many times, fans need a break. No question. There's no question. Why do you think everybody right now is just jacked up about football? football. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it's been gone since January or February for the Super Bowl. And there's always been this sense that, well, you know, if the tour doesn't do it, somebody else will. Okay, let them. You know, let them. Give your sponsors a break. Give your fans a break. They've, I think they've established something very good with the FedEx Cup. You know, we might not like this, the format of the tour championship, but I think we do like the idea of how it builds to the end. And we have a FedEx Cup champion. And we recognize that Rory is the FedEx champion this year. You know, and we we, we – uh, we pay attention to that. We make note of it. We keep track of it. Well, it's a lot easier to do that in a more confined period. And uh, I just think that's going to help them going forward. But to our original thing here, you know, Phil was an advocate long ago, shortened schedule, smaller fields, bigger money events for the top players. And what's happened? That's exactly what the tour is putting in play. And, you know, he's, He's not taking credit for it, but I think he is sort of suggesting, look, these are the things I've talked about forever, and I, I banged my head against the wall, and they never happened. And without, without the threat of something else, it probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting part of your conversation uh, because he said I, you know, that a lot of his conversations uh, go back 15, 18 years uh, you know, to Commissioner Tim Fincham. So although, in, you know, we all know he didn't handle this well, and Phil has a tendency to, you know, break all the China in the cabinet <laughs> to get attention <laughs> <laughs> one plate at a time. But, you know, I, I, I thought that was interesting uh, that, um, you know, really to get a sense of how long he has been advocating this. 
Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you said it. I don't think Phil handled it right. He probably shouldn't have done those interviews. Uh, certainly not the one with Alan, Alan Shipnuck that really resulted in a lot of angst for him. Um, uh, but uh, the bottom line is, is I just know in my own dealings with him over the years, these kinds of conversations came up. They weren't like, you know, vehement or there wasn't any kind of fist pounding. It was just, you know, you got the sense that he felt that the tour was catering to too many players. And that's a, a hard position to make publicly because if you're, if you don't expand on that properly, you're going to look bad. But his point was, is, you know, we are deluding ourselves. We are making decisions based on the 150th player rather than the first player, the fifth or the 20th. And we are basically subsidizing those guys. And there's no reason why there can't be developmental tours or smaller tours or, you know, even under the PJ tour to get to, to get to this point, but this should be elite and the stars should be taken care of. And, you know, the season's too long. And why are we funding all these opposite events, subsidizing them? You know, truth be told, I'm not sure Phil would have been all that happy with the idea of the tour subsidizing the champions tour. Um, because that's money that could have gone into the star players pockets in theory, you know? So, and, and I think Phil and in, in some of his more, um, you know, controversial comments, he suggested the tour was sitting on millions and millions of dollars. Well, I don't know how much they have sitting there, but clearly when push came to shove, they, they found a way to come up with 160, $170 million in about a week. You know, right. they added 50 million to the PIP. There's, there's going to be what, um, they had announced eight tournaments as, as, boosted uh, purses. boosted. Well, so now there's going to be four more. Those, those eight increase the purses for next year to $54 million. You add in the four more, that's another 48 million. Cause most of these purses are 8 million and now they're going to be 20. So, you know, what's 54 and 48 plus they bumped up the, the, the players championship by $5 million. It's a lot you know, of you, dough sitting somewhere yeah. in an account. Yeah. And look, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have, you know, people complain, oh, they're a nonprofit. Well, nonprofits have reserves, you know, Absolutely. so that's, that's not really an argument. What, what if they didn't have that money sitting there when COVID hit, they spent millions upon millions of dollars to get through the rest of 2020 and a good part of 2021 with no spectators. And they and led no the way in terms of sports organizations. They yeah. You've got to, you have to compliment them for that. And they, you know, for the three months that they were out, they lost millions. They weren't getting TV rights money. They weren't getting sponsorship money. That, that, that money did not get replaced because, you know, even though they came back, the schedule was shorter. And so they missed out on all those tournaments. And then the, the local tournaments, the Valspars of the world, the Honda, well, the Honda didn't have that. They had fans in 2020. Valspar was the best example because they came the week, basically they shut down. Everything had been built. They had spent all the money to get it ready. And now they don't get to bring any money in. In fact, they had to refund money. Well, where's the money supposed to come from? The tour helped them out. 
You know, the, the tour helped subsidize them. And they had to do that a lot. So, I mean, people, I, you know, I try to look at both sides. You know, the tour, the tour had a lot of money to pay out that year. Now, does that mean that, that, that they ran it dry? I doubt it. And I think that's Phil's point, that they've had the money. And until they were forced to spend it, they, they weren't going to do so. Why that would be, I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure to what end it helped them. Um, partly, I think it, it might have had to do with that they their model is for the the title sponsor and TV to pay for the purse every week, and you know when you try to up that, they the title sponsor and TV has to pay more. Obviously, TV's on board for like nine or ten more years, and there's increases built in, um, but that that's a finite amount of money the tour probably has it planned out as how much those purses were going to rise they weren't going to just take unlimited funds from their own bank account to supplement the purses uh, at least that was their thinking well that's apparently what they're going to do now you know so again i'm not defending phil i'm just saying he he had some things that 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 proved to be correct speaking of tv uh there was an article earlier in the week uh, by one of your uh, writers at SI about where is Liv's traction without some sort of TV deal. And he had an interesting number in the article. He said that on the final day of the Bedminster event, that there were 75,000 eyeballs that watched it. Not sure, you know, where those numbers came from. But what was interesting was he compared it to the first day of the worst tournament on the PGA Tour, and it falls short by, you know, hundreds of thousands. Right. <laughs> so, you know, what's, what's your feeling on that? We know that Liv has buckets of money, uh, you know, what what's your thought on on where this goes and it's real traction well you're right or he's right john hawkins who wrote that um you know they they need a more robust um way of getting their product out in in front of the masses you know they they're spending a lot of money on production they they've done research to suggest that the five hour TV window and the shotgun starts is something that the public wants in terms of watching a telecast. Well, it doesn't do them any good if it's not really getting out there and YouTube, you know, isn't exactly probably the, 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 the way to capture it. Um, I mean, you know, obviously there are people that have YouTube uh, and they have it on their smart TVs and if the numbers were that low, that's not great. If I, if I were to defend them, it would just be that I don't think they've put a lot into marketing it. It doesn't seem they've put a lot into marketing ticket sales. I mean, they've, the, yeah. I've, I've, I went to the first three and none of them were heavily attended. The best, the best attended day was this Saturday in, in Portland. Very good crowd that day. That's a market that's underserved by men's pro golf. And so people came out. New Jersey, not so great. I think part of that had to do with they were limiting the crowds on purpose because of Trump's presence and, you know, for security reasons and such. 
So that makes Correct. sense. Right. Um, you know, this is a holiday weekend. How do they, you know, it's not Boston. It's way out. It's 45 minutes out. Chicago's yeah. not close to Chicago. The Bears will be playing. You know, they, they've got challenges that they're going up against right now. And, but where I would defend them is, is they're only four events in. You know, I mean, it's like they put, threw this together on the fly. They didn't announce a schedule until March. Yeah, it is they amazing. Barely, they barely put together their broadcast team before that first event in London. Now, if it they get showed. To next, it showed. Yeah. You know, if they get to their if they get to their first event next February, and haven't, and and don't have a better kind of a an outlet to get it out there, I I think that's a concern. You know, but I mean, the other side of it is is. Now, look, you know, obviously the PJ Tour is seen in places around the world, too. But they do have broadcast. They're, 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 it's only streaming basically in the U.S. and the U.K. Like it's shown on over-the-air TV in Canada. There's other places around the world that it is. They, they have not unleashed their entire game plan in, in great detail. Um, and... You know, some sort of a, a high-end streaming service like an Apple TV or a Netflix or a Hulu, who whatever you know, whatever they might be, is necessary. I mean, are they going to get on regular TV? I mean, I mean, is, would Fox do it? Would Fox Sports One? Would TNT? You know, somebody like that. I mean, it's it's they might, it's hard Fox to might redeem themselves after their attempt at the U.S. Open coverage. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's I, I just don't know where they go with that. CBS, CBS and NBC aren't going to do it, and it doesn't seem that ESPN would, given they have the streaming deal. Um, but uh, um, it's, um, uh, you know, you're, John's right. John Hawkins is right. that It's going to be hard for them to gain any momentum if they don't have a wider reach. And next year, once they start playing, a lot of this drama is going to subside because the the field of 48 will basically be set. I don't see there being a whole lot of movement once they get started. And so then when it just becomes about the golf, well, the only way it can really become about the golf is for us to be able to it's see coverage. It. Yeah. You know, and then it needs to be about the golf. Like we need to care about the results. We need to care about the venues. They need to care about, you know, um, how guys are doing or slumping or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's the next step they're going to, they're going to, they're going to need to, uh, to take. And, and, and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out because there's, there's no guarantee that it, that it'll be successful. The other very interesting thing that came out in your interview was Phil's take on the majors. Uh, you know, clearly as a master's champion, he wants to be at Augusta in april yeah i mean and and it, do they really not want their past champions there that has been a tradition that goes back to the beginning of the tournament and are you going to shun them because you don't like what they're doing i mean i just would find that remarkable um and i i think it's too late for them to change their qualifying criteria criteria typically the Masters, if they were going to change the criteria, would have announced it in April because everybody's gone with the assumption that since April, if you win a PGA Tour event, you're in. If you're in top four in a major, you're in. 
So what they're going to change that now, you know, um, I guess they could drop the top 50 if they wanted, uh, you know, because, because they could just say, we decided not to use the world rankings and that would be the biggest blow to them to the live guys, because that's the, really their only way in. Um, you know, and, and some of their guys are going to hang in the top 50. But again, I just go back to, I, are you going to go out of your way to keep players out of your tournament when some of those players you would want to have there just in terms of their playing ability? The same thing goes to world rankings. I get that they might have to wait to get them, but the idea behind the world rankings is to rank every professional golfer in the world who plays who plays competitive golf, not club pros, but above that level. If you leave the live players out, are you do you really have a true ranking system? You know, because they're going to play in majors, we think. They're going to probably play in uh, Asia tour Asian tour events. Yeah. Some of them are being allowed to play in DP World Tour events. So why would you, you know, not want to rank them? Just because you don't like what they're doing, first of all, you know I don't know how much you followed the the new you know when the new ranking system came out in August. It's quite a difference. Like they've really streamlined it and made some significant changes that I think are going to better reflect. But uh, among them are the smaller the field, you you get less points. So like the tour championship last week got far less points than it gave a year ago. The, 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 a lot of the tournaments were subsidized with points. Well, now they have a system in place where if you have, you know, if, if you only have 78 players, you're going to get less points. than if you have 144, you know, if you have 120, like, like the Genesis and the Arnold Palmer, you're not going to get as many as if it was 144 or 156. They're recognizing that, you know, having to beat more guys makes that, makes that field stronger. Well, so a 48-player field, in theory, is going to get a lot less points. So Okay, let them play for those smaller points. What's the big deal? Let us, let's see where it shakes out. I don't know if they have a system that where they can only give points to half the field since they don't have cuts. Who would have a problem with that? I mean, that should be how it is. The way it is now, the, the world rankings are giving points to any player who makes a cut. That, that had not been the case before. You know, sometimes they only paid out through 50 or, or you know, gave points through 50th or 55th. Right. Now, if you make a cut, you get points. might be very small. So I think there's a fear that, okay, we can't be giving, you know, Tigers event, only 20 players, everybody gets points. But there's a fear we can't be giving points to a tour where everybody plays every week. And it just becomes, you know, self-fulfilling. Everybody would, they would just be regurgitating points all, all season. Right. I get that. So make it only half, only 24. Yeah, I got to finish in the top 24 to get points. I mean, again, it's easy for me to say. I, I don't know all the algorithms, but that would be an easy way around it. They're going to get less points to begin with. You're only getting points if you finish in the top half of the field. And uh, so be it. You know, I mean, the, their guys might have a hard time qualifying for majors or other events under those circumstances. I, again, I just go back to you can hate live. There's no no problem with that. I understand it, but to deny guys because you hate it, the you know, like that would be like, well, God, I really think the European tour stinks. I don't think any of their players should play in the in the majors. It's ludicrous thinking, you know. So 
Um, anyway, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. I would be surprised if they, if any of them do anything. They might change their criteria going forward, but maybe they'll drop the world rankings. Who knows? But um, <laughs> it just seems like it's never ending, right? Like you just you think something's we we we've put one thing to bed and something else crops up. Well, given how long you have covered the golf world, uh, you would have to rank this, I think, at the top of uh, the most uh, breaking news year. Never seen anything like it. No, nothing like it. I mean, I've said this many times. Tiger has moved the needle like nobody else in sports, in golf. And it's been very, very impressive what he's done. And he has, at times in his career, been quite polarizing. You know, I even get it today. You know, why are you covering that guy? I mean, it's it's a ludicrous thing to, to bring up. Really? <laughs> You're not going to cover Tiger? Right. You know, but there are the people who just, you know, can't, you know, have had enough. It doesn't compare to this. It's, it does not compare to this. This has been way beyond that in terms of polarization. There's a political aspect to this. That really has people wound up. Um, you know, you've got the the ones who will have absolute want absolutely nothing to do with it because of the Saudi backing. Then you have the ones who say, "Well, what about China? What about the fact that we get oil from Saudi? What about the fact that our president went met with MBS? What about the fact that FedEx does business in Saudi? I mean, it's incredible." the back and forth yes. and, and, you know, I don't think it's going to end because the, the funding source is an important aspect of this. And I don't think it's going away. I do think that there's, there's going to have to be something that happens because, because while the tour is taking a hard line and I get it, I understand it. Clearly guys have, have moved over there anyway. And this, is this what we want? Do we not want these guys to be playing against each other ever, except in the majors? You know, I, I, I think it's going to be a while before we get that answer. Uh, but if, if Liv plucks off a few more guys before next year and then does it again the next year, then I think we're in for an, a situation where, where uh, they, they're going to have to look at it because I, that's not good for the game. Before I let you go – uh, you did pick Rory McIlroy <laughs> to win the Tour Championship and the FedEx Cup. I don't know how you were feeling on Saturday when he was, what, 10 shots behind? Yeah, exactly. It was at 10, 10 at one point. And um, I, I'll be honest with you, when he teed off on Sunday, I didn't think he was going to win, and he was six back. I thought Scotty Scheffler would win for sure at that point. But uh, – you know, Scheffler got off to a bit of a slow start, and Roy, you know, Roy put on the pressure and um, and got it done. And, you know, look, when, when it happens like that, the format's actually pretty exciting, you know, and th we've had this format four years, and Roy is the only one who's come back to win from not leading the FedEx going in, not having a, a, a strokes advantage. In fact, he was, I believe he was five behind Kepka in 2019 and he was six back to start this year and it was six back to start the final round and uh and and has done it twice so it's pretty impressive you know that's a that's a heck of a feat to come back to to make up that kind of ground on a great player like that so um i still think that the format needs 
needs some thought. Um, a lot, just too many people are, are not happy with it. I've come to accept what it is. You can't accept it as just a 72 hole tournament. It's a continuation of the playoffs and they have to start it on that Thursday. And instead of starting from zero, they're starting from where you ended up before getting there. If you can just deal with that, it, it, it's probably okay. But I'm guessing a lot of people can't. And so that's why they wanted to change. Well, I, as much as uh, Scotty Scheffler is a great champion and a great guy, I think we would have to say this was perhaps some divine justice for Rory, uh, given the year that he's had after putting the PGA Tour on his back after that disappointing you know, loss on Sunday at the open championship and all the responsibility that he took on this year. And the fact that he can now say he's one upped tiger <laughs> in terms of FedEx cups, it's gotta be a resounding end to, to his season. No doubt. Yeah. I think I, you know, listen, he, he didn't, he didn't win the, uh, uh, win the, win the open, which was a huge disappointment. But it was nice the way he bounced back um, to, to get this because, um, you know, he could have just gone into a funk. And frankly, he, he wasn't that ready um, when he came back. You know, at the, at, he missed the cut in Memphis. Uh, but he, he played well enough at the BMW to put himself in position. And look, you know, for all the talk about the format, he did shoot the lowest 72-hole score. He was 17 under par. That was the best of any player. So, um, you know, it's pretty good, pretty good performance. He's playing next week at the BMW in, in, uh, at Wentworth. He's got a couple of European tour events to go. And it won't be long before we'll be talking about if he can complete the Grand Slam at the Masters. <laughs> a- absolutely. And I would uh, put him as an early favorite for the PGA Championship next May, which I will give a shout out to my home course, Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, which will also be a bit of a a home field advantage for Rory because uh, his wife's from there. So watch out for uh, Rory's Roy's a member there too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It could shape up to be a good, a good major season for, for Rory if if he keeps this momentum going. Well, as always, we thank you so much, Bob Herrick from SI.com. Thanks my friend.